Uh, good to see you all. Good morning. Uh, last time turning to Matthew's Gospel in our mini-series of Matthew chapters 1 to 4. Uh, as I was uh, studying Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25, um, I've been meditating upon um, words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 to 10. So I might share that with you as we turn to Matthew 4. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 to 10. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we listen to your word this morning, that we'll see you properly, holy God, and so turn away from idols and to serve you, the one true living God. And that our hearts will be so deeply filled with trust in your promises that we will wait for your Son from heaven, whom you raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen. Uh, Most people, if you're anything like me, don't particularly enjoy waiting Uh, whether it's waiting in line for fast food or uh, being stuck behind a slow driver on the road or waiting at the counter to be served. For those of you uh, with young children, waiting at the IKEA playground for your children's turn to get in. Uh, Social analysts tell us uh, that people living in 21st century are particularly, especially bad at waiting because um, we're so used to getting everything done instantly. You know, we are the apparently the people of instant gratification with our iPhones and Google and uh, our ability to travel anywhere around the world within a day or so. I'm sure there are some truth to this analysis. Certainly our culture is go and get it now, then wait patiently. Uh, Know that there are many other reasons, uh, personal factors, social factors, cultural factors, and so on. But I think what we commonly don't like about waiting uh, is the feeling of being stuck the feeling that you're not going anywhere, but stuck in this hole without any resolution. You're just uh, wasting away. Uh, You wait for a situation to improve. You wait for uh, that reply from the job that you applied for. Um, If you're a student, you wait for the exam results to come back so you can actually enjoy the holiday. Uh, And if you wait to hear from someone you like that you've just contacted or asked out, whatever. And when you don't hear anything and just kept at bay, that that can feel really disappointing or frustrating or discouraging. Uh, Christian life can sometimes feel like that too. Until the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of our bodies, uh, we never arrive fully in this world. And that can sometimes feel like being stuck. You become a Christian You trust in God of heaven and earth. You believe and live by the name of Jesus, but your situation seems the same. Same old difficulties, same old challenges. Uh, Actually, new challenges are added on to the old challenges because you become a Christian. Uh, it, It really feels like sometimes your Christian life is stuck and you're not going anywhere. And you wonder whether it's all worth it and whether it's all worth waiting for Jesus and his return. 
But this, if, if you felt like that in the past, or if you feel like that right now, uh, I want you to know that this feeling that we are stuck in our waiting is not unique to us. This morning, as we turn to Matthew's Gospel once again, uh, we'll see that the people of the old, uh, uh, Matthew's time also waited a long time. We were not the only one. They waited centuries of silence from God for God's promise to come true. Remember the genealogy back in chapter 1? Uh, 14 generations by 3. They've been waiting a long time for God to answer. They felt like they were stuck. They felt like they were permanently under God's judgment, going nowhere. They waited a long time in darkness for God's light to shine. And Matthew's Gospel shows us today that Jesus was worth the wait. He was worth waiting for as he shone a great light for people dwelling in darkness. And it's the same light that you and I, we need to see today as we wait for Jesus to be reminded that he is worth the wait. So uh, what I want to do this morning is I want us to uh, see this light with Matthew and Matthew's first hearers. And we're going to do this by going on a journey with Jesus, if I may put it that way, uh, by traveling back in time uh, with Jesus himself, looking at where Jesus went. This is where, um, if you have noticed, until this point, Jesus has been a very passive character in Matthew's gospel. It's about everyone else telling about Jesus. But from here on, Jesus is the active character in Matthew's gospel till the very end. And uh, so we're going to look at where Jesus went, what he announced, and what he did. And by seeing Jesus and traveling with Jesus on a journey and the light of his salvation, that we'll have a proper perspective. That's what journeys do, doesn't it? And you go on a long journey and come back home, and home never looks the same. You get a proper perspective, and sometimes we need time away uh, in order to get our perspectives right. Uh, So uh, as we wait for Jesus... Uh, we might do this uh, so that uh, we'll be reminded that he is worth turning to. Uh, he is worth serving with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And that he is worth waiting for until his final return. So, uh, first point, where Jesus went. So we're going to travel with Jesus to where he went in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. The narrative opens with some interesting details. Uh, We had met John back in chapter 3. He was the forerunner, uh, the one in the figure of Elijah. We're now told that the forerunner has been arrested. We don't know exactly why and by whom at this point. But the arrest of John moves Jesus into public ministry. The time had come. It also raises certain expectation, you know, if the forerunner is arrested, what will happen to Jesus himself? But if Matthew left some gaps with regards to John the Baptist, he gives a very detailed information about where Jesus first went to start his ministry. Jesus withdrew into Galilee and a particular town called Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And if you know anything about Palestinian geography, this is very intriguing. But first, let me show you where the land of Zebulun and Naphtali is in the map. And um, it's going to come up behind the screen. 
I don't know whether you can see it. If you can see it, the circled area um, and, the, and then the, uh, the sea that you see on the right-hand side, that's the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee. Uh, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali are in the far north of Israel, far north from Jerusalem, which is down south. Uh, this was the land allocated to the tribes of Zebulun, the tenth son of Jacob, and Naphtali, the sixth son of Jacob when Israelites conquered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And also these are the land, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, was the first land to be captured, the first tribes to be deported into Babylon and Assyria when Israelites were attacked by the foreign nations under God's judgment. Uh, listen to what he says in 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 9, uh, 29. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Ion, Abel-Mathmachah, Jonah, Kadesh, Hazel, Gilead, and Galilee, and all the land of Naphtali. And he carried the people captive to Assyria. Uh, so, so what's interesting and what's intriguing about Matthew's description that Jesus went and lived in the territory of, territory of Zebulun and Naphtali is that there was no such thing. I mean, the land hasn't been called the land of Zebulun and Naphtali for some 700 years. They haven't had that land for a long time. It was the land of Assyria. Then it was the land of Babylon. Then it was the land of Persia. And then it was the land of Rome. It's like uh, someone calling New York New Amsterdam or Paris as being in the territory of the Franks. Uh, so what's going on here? Matthew wants us to think historically in order to recognize the significance of Jesus coming into the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And help us to do that, he quotes from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied during the time the land of Zebulun and the Naphtali was captured and deported into exile. What did Isaiah say? Uh, Matthew reminds us in verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, a people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the reason and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Isaiah prophesied in chapters 8 and 9 of the book of Isaiah that Tony read for us, that God's judgment will come upon the people of Israel for continuously rejecting God and disobeying him. There's the Assyrians will come and will devastate the land, will take them into exile, and the land will be greatly distressed and hungry, chapter 8, verse 21. There will be distress and thick darkness, chapter 8, verse 22. But Isaiah said there's more. God has also said that that will not be the end for those who wait for God, chapter 8, verse 17. Those who trust in God's promise that God is Emmanuel, God with us. In the latter times, Isaiah says in chapter 9, verse 1, a great light from God, light of God's salvation, will dawn for the people dwelling in darkness. A son will be born, a son of David. He will be called, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. 
Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So Matthew is saying, look where Jesus went. Finally, the time has come. God is with us. God is fulfilling what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. God is restoring his people at ground zero, exactly the point where the judgment first began. He is bringing his salvation. God is beginning his ministry of salvation through Jesus, whose name means he will save his people from their sins. Matthew says, Israel, it was worth the wait. 700 years, a long time, it was worth the wait. Isaiah's light has finally dawned. God is with us to deal with our problem of rejecting him in ignorance, in living in darkness. God is with us to deal with our problem of death under his judgment. But as Matthew's people saw the light, I want us to see that this light was not only for the Israelites, but also for the Galilee of Gentiles. Because the problem, the problem of sin and death, is not only Israel's, but the whole world. It is your problem and my problem. Everyone who rejected God, and as a consequence, stand under the judgment of God, which is death, both now and thereafter. And that is why death is universal. It afflicts both young and the old, male and female, Asians and Caucasians. No one can escape death, not because it's a natural part of human life. No, death is not natural. Death is evil. It's not what God intended human life to be. But death came into the world because humanity has altogether rejected God and instead chose to dwell in darkness instead of the light. As Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. But as Jesus went to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, this was no ordinary journey. This was a moment when God fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. This was a moment when the light started to dawn for those who dwell in darkness, under the shadow of death. Light dawned in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and for the Galilee of Gentiles. But, but how will Jesus shine a light for those who dwell in darkness? What, what does it entail? The next verse tells us what this dawning of a great light means. Look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach or announce, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus will shine a great light by establishing the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom is at hand that is radically different from all the other kingdoms of the earth. A kingdom from heaven where God rules. A heavenly kingdom where God's will is done. God's will for humanity. Humans having fellowship with God having been created in the image of God, ruling the world under God according to his good, wise, and powerful word. This is a kingdom where there will be a forgiveness of sins instead of revenge or violence, as Jesus will speak about in the Sermon on the Mount in the very next chapters. Uh, This is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, justice, and mercy. 
It is a kingdom where those who are under God's judgment is finally reconciled to God as God comes to dwell with us, Emmanuel. This is a kingdom where there will be a deliverance from evil instead of darkness and death. This kingdom will shine a great light for all who dwell in darkness under the shadow of death. But who is this kingdom for? What does it take to receive this kingdom? Well, Jesus starts to explain what kind of people this kingdom is for in the very next chapter with these well-known verses. In chapter 5, verse 3 of Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The descriptions of the blessed people in these verses, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, they are all Old Testament descriptions of people who waited for God, who, who heard Isaiah's words and waited for that promise. I will wait for God. God will fulfill his promise. We will trust in God that he will shine a light. He will not leave us in darkness forever. He will come with us. In other words, they are people who repented and waited for God's kingdom of heaven. And that is what the word repent means. Uh, It is turning to God. It is turning to God, turning away from idols and turning to God. And listen to what he has to say. And, And to look at what he has done. And to trust what he says he will do. I mean, in that process, you will feel sorry because when you turn to God and see who he is, you will be sorry. You will confess your sins because when you turn to God and you see God as he is, the holy and majestic God, like the prophet Isaiah, you will confess your sins. I'm a man of unclean lips and unclean hearts. But at its heart, it's turning to God for what God has done for you. It's turning to God to see the great light that God has dawned for those who dwell in darkness. Jesus says, repent. Turn to God now, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Time has come. God is fulfilling what he has spoken. God is building a new kingdom with a new Davidic king, with a new people, both from the Jews, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, as well as Gentiles, the Galilee of the Gentiles. And this may be a good time for us to stop for a second in our journey and ask ourselves, have you repented? Have you turned to God? Have you turned to God and see his light? Or have you chosen to ignore the light and dwell in darkness. A great light has dawned. God is establishing his heaven unto him. You must come out to the light, or else you will remain in darkness. You will remain under the shadow of death. 
You won't be forgiven. You won't be delivered from evil. You must turn, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Jesus says to us today as we journey with him. He shows you the light and listen to what he has to say. Repent, turn, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As Matthew's gospel unfolds, it becomes clear that this kingdom of heaven comes through the person and work of Jesus himself, the light himself. Jesus is God's heavenly king, David's greatest son, who establishes the kingdom of heaven. Jesus will undo the power of sin and death through his sin-forgiving death and his death-defeating resurrection. So turn to Jesus. Turning to God means turning to Jesus. And repent for all authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. God's great light has dawned in our darkness and the only right response is to turn to him. For the remainder of Matthew's Gospel, for those of you who are curious, I hope you go and read the rest of Matthew's Gospel for yourself uh, for the next few weeks and we might come back and take upon Jesus' Sermon on the Mount later in the year. But for the remainder of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew will show just how great of a light Jesus is and what a blessing it is to turn and receive his kingdom. But we already start to catch the glimpse of Jesus' power and the light of his salvation in our passage today. So for the remainder of our journey, let's briefly have a look at what Jesus did and the light of his salvation in verses 18 to 25. Let me read from verse 18 again. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. And, you know, why were they doing this? Did they just, you know, uh, were they just people who like going fishing? No, Matthew says, they were doing this for, it's always a very important information when the Bible takes time to explain and give them a job description, uh, for they were fishermen. That's what, who they were. That's what their life was about. And Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And look at what happens. Do they say, oh, well, let me check with a few of my best customers first and see if that's okay to delay the business for a while. Or let me make sure my wife can manage without me for a few months or three years. Now, what we read in verse 20 is immediately they left their nets and followed him. We see the same response with James and John in verses 21 and 22. And just like that, Peter and Andrew and James and John's life will never be the same from here on. And now that's power, isn't it? It gets you to ask, how impressive, how powerful of Jesus is that these people respond like that. That their life just changed with the moment of encountering him and hearing his word. Jesus' words are almost as powerful as the creator of the universe who said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be fish, and there was fish. Jesus called Peter and Andrew to follow him, and they immediately leave everything behind to follow him. I think Matthew wants us to see just how impressive and powerful Jesus is. With his words, he can change people's lives. It is authoritative. There is no negotiation. 
It is like the word of the Lord in the Old Testament. Jesus' words are powerful to accomplish his purposes. Simon, uh, we'll see if you read the Matthew's Gospel, he will become Peter. Jesus will establish his purposes. He calls and they immediately leave everything behind and follow him. Now, fishing, of course, is an Old Testament imagery of judgment, as in Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 16, where God promises to send fishermen to judge and separate the wicked from the righteous. Jesus is promising that he will transform these fishermen uh, uh, whose lives are about kingdoms of this earth, whose lives are about what to eat, what to drink, and what to wear, to whose lives being about kingdom of heaven, whose lives being about seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, whose lives about bringing God's salvation into people dwelling in darkness. Uh, we might wonder, how will Jesus do such a work, a uh, work of such magnitude and seriousness, like bringing God's judgment and salvation through some fishermen? But indeed, that's what he has done, isn't it? Starting with them, God has, Jesus has, and Jesus is making disciples of all nations. And he testifies once again to his power and the light of his salvation. And we are the witnesses. He started with them and has come all the way to us. From land of Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee, all the way to Sydney, Strathfield, wherever you live. And this episode also teaches about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. If you're anything like me, there must be times when you grow impatient and frustrated that the kingdom of heaven has not yet come in its full, perfect picture. After 2,000 years, we're still waiting for Jesus and the revelation of the kingdom of heaven in its full scope and magnitude and its perfection. Is it still happening? Every NCLS uh, survey that we do uh, seems to tell us that churches are declining, if anything. Rather than making disciples of all nations, churches are declining everywhere in Australia. Has Jesus lost his power? Well, Jesus will remind us, due course, kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. But when he has grown... It is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nest its branches. Chapter 13, verse 32 to 33. Yeah, the kingdom's growth is hard to measure with physical eyes. But it will into a tree. It will grow into be the largest tree. The kingdom of heaven starts with Jesus shining a light in darkness. He calls the two disciples, then four, then twelve apostles. And as Jesus shines his light to all nations through his gospel, first preached by those twelve apostles, then through all who believed in him. And when the kingdom is revealed in finality, we'll see what Apostle John saw in the book of Revelation. People from every tongue, tribe, and languages. Praising, worshiping, glorifying that has done for us.
when God, in God's own timing, according to His wise will, accomplishes His will on earth as it is already in heaven, we'll see, like how God showed Abraham, look towards Abraham, number the stars if you can, and so shall your offspring be. What a power! What a great light of salvation! Uh, finally, let's look at the light of Jesus' salvation in the healing that came upon the land and to all nations. Verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond, beyond Israel. Look at, just very briefly, look at how Matthew lists all the various diseases and illnesses, the sick, oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics. Why is he doing that? Well, the point is, he healed them all. Every disease, illness, they brought them all. All those who are afflicted, all those who dwelt in darkness, in pain, in suffering, under the shadow of death, they brought them all. And he healed them all. That's the point. People came from everywhere, even the Gentiles beyond the Jordan. And he healed them all. And that is what he has come to do. To heal us. To save us from the shadow of death. To deliver us from our sins. To rescue us into the kingdom of heaven. And this is what he will do once and for all, completely and perfectly when he comes back, again from heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. He will reconcile all things. His great bright light will shine and it will pierce through darkness. His sin-forgiving death has dealt with our sins. His life-giving resurrection light has already defeated death decisively. It is only a matter of time till death and the power of the evil one is completely dismantled. So brothers and sisters, have you seen the light today? As you journeyed with Jesus through this Matthew chapter 1 to 4, have you seen his light? If you have seen it, let us turn to him. Turn to him instead of going to the idols. And let us serve him, for he deserves our praise and our worship. And let us wait for him, the one who's got all authority in heaven and on earth, who will return to rescue us, deliver us from the wrath to come. Let us wait, not idly, but wait for him with eager longing and patience. Let us wait while serving him, following him by making all disciples of all nations. Uh, Let us wait, not in doubt or anxiety, but in complete trust in all that he has promised. 
And let us wait, not on our own power, but by the power of the one who promised to us, I will be with you till the end of the age. Let us wait, because he is worth the wait.